This is On Top of the Mount with Darren Waddles. Special thanks to Charles Dyson Sr.'s surviving children, Charles Dyson Jr., Nan Pamer, Kenny Dyson, Marlene Gleason, and Kim Dyson for allowing this podcast to record these priceless family treasures and great apostolic literary works as No Continuing City and Actions Are Weighed. Not only will this audiobook podcast be a memorial to my great-grandfather's legacy in the church and in the Pentecostal movement in Arkansas, but I would like to also dedicate the series to his jewel in life and our beloved grandmother, Marcella Dyson. Chapter 5 Weapons of Mighty Men Hung Up Thy neck is like the tower of David, builded for an armory, whereon there hang a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men. Song of Solomon 4.4 4. Number 1. Walk Around the Armory Here we find Solomon attempting to describe the strength and beauty of Israel. His mind reminisces into the yesterday year when, as a lad, he strolled one day into his father's armory. There on the wall hung weapons of mighty men of a nation, hanging as silent monuments, but speaking nevertheless the past glories of a nation for all to behold. On the left hang the weapons of David's mighty men, men who in their day, struck terror to the heart of an enemy. There was the spear of Jeshoim that slew 300 Philistines at one time. Next to it was the sword of Eliezer and the sword of David, who together stood in the midst of a barley field and delivered Israel. And the spear of Abishoi that struck down 300 enemies of the Lord in one day. These weapons belong to the three chief captains of David's mighty forty, and all of these mighty men's armor hung on the walls around about. No doubt, it was on this stroll among the bucklers and shields of mighty men that Solomon obtained some of his great wisdom, which he later forgot. The wisdom that no man is great within himself, but great only when he surrounds himself with those forces that make for greatness. It was not David that was great, but it was those men that David surrounded himself that made him so. For in the company of his captains were several that could have taken David apart. In fact, he spent a lifetime fearful of the strength of Joab, one of his mighty men of valor, on one occasion, in the presence of his captains, he spoke of a desire for a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem near the gate. Three of his mighty men broke through the Philistine army, drew the water, and brought it back to him. These three could take on a whole army with ease. Number two. What forces surround you? David's fame, therefore, can be attributed to his ability to surround himself with great men. This is a natural law of strength within itself. 
whether a community, a church, an organization, a business, or a nation, when applying this code, it will work for greater accomplishments. I would not take anything away from strong leadership, for it comprises a larger percentage to success. But there are greater glories to be obtained with strong men supporting. In fact, one cannot be spiritual and surround himself with carnal things. To be entangled with affairs of this world automatically sets in motion a law that strangles the spirit. 2 Timothy 2.4 Humility cannot be found among scarlet and purple robes, relishing the praise of men. Humbleness can only take root when surrounded by traits of humility. To be faithful, one must surround himself with traits that Uriah the Hittite possessed. When we contend for the faith once delivered to the saints, we must have those ingredients around us in worship to have a spirit-filled life, as in the early church. Please tell me how anyone could have a spiritual worship service with the gifts of the Spirit in operation unless the service is surrounded by worshiping, praising, and magnifying the name of the Lord. A worship service in any sanctuary becomes dead, twice dead, and plucked up by the roots when shouting, demonstration, and the power of God is hung upon the wall in surrender. With one pretense after another, we make excuse for not contending for the faith once delivered to the saints. Brass has been substituted for gold, and though they both have a yellow tint, it is not the tint that counts, but the metal. We find profession on every hand, but it is not the profession that counts, it is the possession. David did not only profess strength, he possessed it all about him until he was surrounded with it. Overcoming sin has been hung upon the wall with the flimsy excuse of once saved, always saved. Why not surround ourselves with the things that make for spirit-filled giants? When our bucklers and shields are on display on the wall, we no longer have them in use. David could no more have formed a formidable force of valiant men with sick lepers than Noah could have built an ark with headless hammers. This is why the modern church world is now powerless and saintless. It has refused the teachings of the apostles. Truth is forbidden to surround its pulpits, which make for spirituality. True Holy Ghost worship has been disrobed, and rituals, plays, programs, and ceremonies have clothed themselves under its name. As a whole, people only pretend to be religious. They cannot have salvation and the gifts of the Spirit when they do not surround themselves with consecration that makes for satisfaction. Consecration has been hung upon the wall as a plague, and the bygone 
glories of our forefathers whose joys were the service to the Lord. They knew nothing of a communical movements and compromises with sin. Not our forefathers. To them, sin was sin, and they feared the dreadful penalty of it. Sin was a conviction, not an opinion. Unconcern with sin is caused by those forces that make for hardness of the heart. As natural surroundings influence the mind, spiritual surroundings influence the soul. When a heart allows an unconcerned and rebellious spirit to surround it, no amount of preaching or praying can make it tender and willing. On the other hand, a heart surrounded by a repenting and honest spirit will produce a broken and contrite soul. The outward man is what the inward man is surrounded with. There are forces that make for greatness, and there are forces that make for smallness. I have seen little men who were big, and I have seen big men who were little. I have seen poor people who were rich, and I have seen rich people who were poor. It all depends on the forces that surround them. There are forces that make for carnality, and there are forces that make for spirituality. There are forces that make for humility, and there are forces that make for pride. This holds true for holiness or for self-righteousness. What you are is determined by what surrounds your heart. To be apostolic, we would have to surround ourselves with the apostolic doctrine. To surround ourselves with doctrine of men makes us Pharisees of the worst type. Christianity is not produced by mass or Sunday school. It is produced by a born-again experience and a willing heart to obey the scriptures as they are. The early church surrounded itself with the power of God, miracles, healings, discernment of spirits, tongues and interpretation, anointing oil, communion services, feet washing, and Holy Ghost preaching. That produced Christians. Number three. Do not lay down your weapons. But these are not all that Solomon saw that day in the tower. Other strange weapons that belonged to the glories of Israel past were there. We notice hanging high on the wall a crooked piece of bone that was hollow with a small hole in one end. The jawbone of an ass that one day belonged to Samson the Nazarite. The crude weapon of yesterday had delivered Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. Here again we find it was not the jawbone of an ass altogether, but it was the arm that wielded it, and greater yet is the spirit of the Lord that strengthened that arm. We find it recorded in the book of Judges 15.15. 15. And he found a new jawbone of an ass, and put forth his hand, and took it, and slew a thousand men therewith. And Samson said, 
with the jawbone of an ass. Heaps upon heaps, and the jaw of an ass have I slain a thousand men. And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking, that he cast away the jawbone out of his hand, and called that place Ramathilehi. And he was sore, athirst, and called on the Lord, and said, Thou hast given the great deliverance into the hand of thy servant. And now shall I die for thirst, and for into the hands of the uncircumcised. But God clave an hollow place that was in the jaw, and there came water thereout. And when he had drunk, his spirit came again, and he revived. Samson had gripped this jawbone strongly and wielded it mightily until he had piled them upon in heaps. Now he is weakening, for he was dying of thirst. He could not defeat the Philistines in this tiring condition. He steps back, faint from thirst and weakening his grip. He lays the jawbone down on the ground. Suddenly, to his surprise, water comes pouring out of the hollow bone. Perhaps he had unknowingly held his thumb over the hole that prevented the water from pouring out when he had picked the jawbone from the ground. This hollow bone may have gotten its heaviness from the weight of the water it contained. The weight made it a lethal weapon in Samson's hands. Nevertheless, there is a lesson we should learn from this. Whatever we lay down when we are weary, faint, and discouraged, we may have to pick up in order to become encouraged. Whatever it took to save us, we will have to keep to stay saved. Whatever we had to do to get victory over sin, we will have to continue doing to stay victorious. If it took consecration to become spiritual, we will have to stay consecrated to keep the Spirit of the Lord. This was a crude weapon, and its true value was lost to Samson in a discouraged moment. His very life depended on what he had in his hand. But he was faint from thirst, so he laid it down to give up to the enemy. And out trickled the life-saving water. He snatched it up and drank from the jawbone, and his spirit revived to defeat the enemy. The weapons and talents given us to win the battle of life often comes in crude forms. It might be a crude testimony to our fellow man of the mercies of God, and in an hour of discouragement with a complex of being uneducated and without ability, that testimony is laid down. You had better pick it up. The might be the means of saving yourself. Does the story of Jonah mean nothing to you? A prophet had only a testimony of the judgments of God. He laid it down and almost fortified his life and soul. He had to pick it up and take his testimony to the city of Nineveh. And by so doing, he not only saved himself, but also saved the entire city from destruction.
I knew a lady in a church who had a testimony for 18 years that desired and requested that people would pray that her husband would be saved. Almost three times a week, if she had the opportunity, the same testimony was always given until it was known far and wide anyone attending that church would fear it. But she refused to lay her testimony down. Eighteen long years went by. Suddenly, on a Sunday night at the close of service, the church door swung open and in burst her husband. He fell at the front of the pulpit, repenting and calling on God for salvation. This big fellow, who was a Polish descent, went back to the mill where he worked and over a period of a few months was responsible for six other families being saved. It all happened because a housewife refused to lay down the only crude weapon she had. It was used until victory came. She refused to hang up her shield and buckler. She could have told herself, what's the use? I can only do one thing and that's is to testify a request. She could have said, I can't sing. I cannot speak in public. I can never be anything but a housewife and tend to children. But even if she could never be any figure in life, she refused to hang up her weapon. Number four, emblems of surrender. God wants us to walk around the armory today and look upon the walls, these bucklers and shields of a thousand mighty men could have been emblems of surrender. We have laid down our weapons and the enemy has hung them up as trophies to our surrender. They were laid down because we look back, but at one time they were forces that made for conquest. Our weapons are laid down and hung up as trophies to remind us of defeat because we are consumed by things close at hand. We strive only for that which is temporal. We seek to learn from each day only its immediate meaning, but refuse to ask the centuries what they have to say to the years. We have divorced our day from history that we would make our day the beginning of a new era seeming to forget the creative forces of the past and to ignore the inescapable results of the future. We think only of present tense values. We become faint from thirst. We lay down our shields that have earned them a second look. The question that screams out at us today is this. Will this Pentecostal movement write a history like this? And will my generation hurry it toward the end? When we walk with Solomon around the walls of David's armory and see the sling on yonder wall that slew Goliath, we must not forget that it was not the sling nor the stone nor David, but it was the coming in the name of the Lord, that made the difference. We must grip tightly in the name of the Lord and refuse to lay it down. And it alone is the power 
in which devils are subject. At the turn of the century, we saw a great stir for the cause of Christ in this country. Those were the days of old-time camp meetings. Great numbers came to hear the word preached, and they stood quaking under Holy Ghost conviction. People repented and cried to God for mercy. Throughout the land, holiness was felt, people's morals were elevated, and sin was attacked. These old-timers knew how to wield the two-edged sword of God. But another generation of half-hearted warriors arose, and they laid down their weapons of spiritual warfare. They set out to wear off rough edges of this spiritual movement. New moralities were established, colleges were built, civil rights were sponsored, and an ecumenical move was enacted. The result today can be found in a walk around their armory. There hangs the breastplate of righteousness. Over there hangs the shield of faith. No longer do they contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. No longer are the sick healed nor miracles witnessed. Bucklers and shields are hung up as an emblem of surrender, as a trophy to unbelief. 2 Corinthians 10.4 cries out a charge for us to keep. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The only enemy to God is a carnal mind. It is not Satan, for he can do nothing but what God allows. The word of God testifies to this truth, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. Romans 8, 7. We might talk a good line, but it is time to reach upon the wall and take down the shield and breastplate that are proven weapons. There is somehow a feeling of insecurity in uncharted waters and new untried weapons proposed by this generation of religionists. We need proven weapons that will conquer the innermost being. Why substitute ideas of preachers who know about God but do not know Him? Why try an armor that the enemy has already pierced? Who can substitute a born-again experience and say he has proven it? It must have been a letdown feeling when David reached the army of Israel confronting Goliath and the Philistines and saw his big brothers shaking in their boots, and King Saul scared. When David said that he could bring victory to Israel, Saul immediately had his armor, which has the finest in the world by outward appearance, placed upon David. 
He at once said, Take it off, with no offense to the king, but I have not proven it. David was more concerned with proven weapons. He not only had a sling in his hand, but he had a testimony on his lips and gave added strength when he said, A bear roared out against my sheep, and with this sling I killed him. As a lion came out against me, and I slew him. I can now take this sling and go against Goliath in the name of the Lord and slay him. It is amazing how many churchmen think King Saul's magnificent armor is the very thing to use when time and again it has failed against the power of Satan. It always has and always will. I read recently in a London paper that the Church of England acknowledged it had failed in saving the youth of today. This is the tragedy of a church using unproven weapons in a warfare with sin. We Pentecostals should not stand in awe when the ecclesiastical church world parades in its bright shining armor of tinfoil, nor when Rome marches out in purple and scarlet pagantry and pomp display its armor of rituals and ceremonies. They cannot overcome sin with that armor. It is the armor of Saul, and it never has and never will be effective against sin. The smallest demon of Satan can put them all in chains and self-righteousness. May the day never dawn when we might consider ourselves sufficient to battle sin and the power of Satan without the dynamics of the name of Jesus Christ and the power of his spirit. All the time we sit in the trenches as Israel's waiting for a David to come along, a healer, a gifted evangelist. While we have the weapons, the power is not in men, but the name of the Lord. Governments are battling for men's minds Churches are battling for men's souls. We are in the warfare. Reach upon the wall and put the buckler and shield where they belong upon a warrior. Either we will slay or we will serve. Let us not be another mount in Satan's trophy room. End of chapter 5 Thank you for listening to this episode of On Top of the Mount. I hope you've enjoyed this audiobook series. If you have any questions or suggestions for future podcasts, please email me at draywattles at gmail.com or you can add me on social media through Facebook and Instagram, d underscore raywattles. And until next time, you'll be hearing from me on top of the mount.